Holy Spirit, help us today. I thank you for this great church planted, Lord, in probably the most strategic city in the world. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us today. You'd help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to entitle this message, Possessing Our Promised Land. Of course, the term promised land comes out of the Old Testament where God promised the nation of Israel a land. A land that was impossible for them to ever receive on their own. A land, a land inhabited by literal giants, great armies. A land when they finally got to the border of it, there was a massive flood. The river was a mile wide and God said, cross it. But what does it mean to us? The promised land is that place that God wants to give us. Whether it's our marriage, our family, our life, our career, our health. That without God's help, it is impossible to ever possess. Corporately speaking, what might that mean? Like what is the promised land of this church? Right here, whether you've been here decades coming like me or it's your first Sunday, we feel called to influence the greater Washington, D.C. area. We're, we're planting sites of this church all over the Washington, D.C. area. We also plant churches across the nation, but the mission that burns in our heart is to spread the gospel and the influence of Christ through this area. We also feel called to influence our country and share a common sense that as God has intervened in American history time and time again, some scholars call them religious awakenings. Some call them revivals. You see them before the Revolutionary War, before the Civil War. You see them at the end of the Civil War. You see them before the two world wars. You see them in the 60s. Time and time again, as America enters a crucible, the Holy Spirit has renewed God's people, touched God's people, and touched the culture, and we find ourselves there again. I'm going to subtitle this message, Learning to Walk in Strength and Courage. Why would I say that? Because if we are going to fully possess what God has for our children, if you're married, our lives, our careers, our faith, our country, it will take great strength and great courage. Remember dropping off an amazing young leader in a country far away? I mean, she said, she said, Pop, she goes, there's just no way I can do this job. They're all multiply degreed. There's no way I can ever rise to leadership. I said, if you could on your own, it's doubtful it's God. God typically calls you to do something that you can't do on your own because it's designed to create need in your heart for him. If you just have a human-sized challenge, I fear for you. He'll bring a God-sized challenge into your life to draw you close. It's interesting when young Joshua, well, not young, he was probably 60 by this time, but he was one of the oldest people in his generation left, was getting ready to lead them across the flooded Jordan to the promised land. Here's what God told him over and over. Be strong and courageous. You cause his people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And oh, by the way, don't be frightened and dismayed. I'm with you. Why would God say that? Because typically when God is getting ready to move, it's just 
a scary time. I mean, when Jesus, it says the fullness of time, what was that? Dominated by the Roman Empire, slaughtered, enslavement, crucifixion, decades away from being destroyed, the world writhing under the male fist of oppression. What would God say to us today? Let's set some context and go into this message. Like, where do we find ourselves? What is our place? And as those of you who know me know, from time to time, God speaks to me about world events and things that are going to happen. Let me just take a moment, set some context, and dive into this message. I have to look back to the end of 2018 at my home church in Franklin, Tennessee, multi-site, multi-ethnic. Sitting, getting ready to speak, and the Lord showed me this great trial coming to our country and world and saw America shaking, people crying out, New York crushed, economy just torn and rent. I was so afraid because I had kids living in New York. I saw the West Coast going in and people wanting to flee out. I, had, I couldn't conceive it. Then I said, God said, don't be afraid, I'll catch your country. I was introduced by our pastor. I said it to speak and the next thing I knew, I said, in 17 months, God's going to come to touch the ethnic pain of America again. But it'll be a time of great tension, great pain. Um, people will think the country's going to fragment, break down. People will be angry. There'll be a polarization like you've never seen. People are going to say America's going to end in anarchy. No, we'll end in revival. And I said, in 17 months from when I spoke that, Mr. Floyd was terribly killed in Minneapolis. God's not taken by surprise. He's never surprised of what we're going to face and what's going to happen. Shortly thereafter, I've almost never shared this publicly. The only ones who would have heard me say it were the key leaders of every nation. Bishop Brett was there, Pastor Jim Critcher. June 6th, the Lord began to talk to me about where we were. This is 2019. 11 different times leading up to our world conference, the Lord met with me. And I saw chaos and death and pain. I could hardly comprehend like what it meant. And what the world was coming into. But in the middle of it all, I knew that God was going to meet us. And one night, God began to speak to me out of Deuteronomy 2, 13 through 15. And I'll use that to jump into this message. Now rise up and go over the brook Zered. The brook Zered, interestingly enough, means expansion and fruitfulness. When you look at the children of Israel, I've always known there were two bodies of water they had to cross. There was the Red Sea that God parted. There was the Jordan River that God pardoned. But 38 years after the Red Sea, when a whole generation, basically those above 19, had died in the wilderness other than Joshua and Caleb and their families, 38 years have gone by and God says, cross the Zered Brook. So we went over the Brook Zered and the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Brook Zered was 38 years. 38 years they'd wandered. They came to this little brook. They're two years from going across the promised land and they crossed the Zered Brook into an intense period of time. Massive leadership transition. Younger generation taking over. Moses himself would die. Massive battles and a terrifying pandemic which killed thousands of them. And as the pandemic ended, they now stand at the flood of Jordan. And that night, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I told our every nation leaders, we're crossing the Zered Brook. 
Whether it's two or three years, I don't know, but this is where we are. This is what's coming. And now they stand at the Jordan River. No way to cross it. And I've been in the Jordan River both on the Israeli side and the Jordanian side. Because of all the dams now and hydroelectric plants, it's, what, 15, 16 feet wide maybe, Kathy? But when the flood came, it was a mile wide. May I tell you, when you're crossing over into your promised land, there's always a flood. There's always an impossibility. The world is always rocking, shaking. They cross the promised land, and Joshua makes a very interesting declaration. I mean, it's supernatural. The water rolls up, creates a passage until two and a half million people can walk across. Joshua says, listen, I want you to go back into that before the water closes. And I want you to get 12 big rocks. One for every tribe. We're going to memorialize this moment. And we're going to leave this stack of rocks here for perpetuity. And I want you to promise me you'll carry your children. And I want you to promise me you'll carry your grandchildren. And this will be like going to Washington, D.C. to see this pile of rocks. They're going to go, why are you showing me this, Daddy? Why are you showing me this, Grandma? Because this many years ago, this was where we were. And this was what we learned. This is what God taught us when he did the impossible. This was what it was like when the manna fell. This is what it was like when the mountain shook. This is what it was like when the glory of God would come. And I can remember, I was only a kid then. And we finally came to the end. A pandemic had killed thousands of us. Our leaders did not hardly know what to do. And there's this massive flood. I'll never forget that day when the presence of God, like when the presence of God, the ark, and the priest stepped into the water. Baby, it bar- you kidding, Grandma? No, I saw it. You're kidding, Dad? No, no. That big river, I brought here at flood tide. Parted. And we've been having a lot of 40th anniversary ceremonies. Just had one here at GCC. We had one down at Kings Park. Bishop Brett and many others are there in Midland for the 40th. I'm about 40th out. <laughs> but I thought, if Caleb... And Joshua, the only two men over the age of 19 to make it, were standing here today. What would they tell you? What did they learn out of all that trauma where every peer died, where every older relative died, where every friend but one another died? Pandemic catastrophe, what would they say? If they were here today and they'd say, like, why'd you make it, Joshua? Like, Caleb, why'd you make it? How did you walk into that glory? How did you come into the promised land? Like, what would they tell us? I'm not going to tell you 12 things, but I'm going to shoot to tell you eight. If you said, Joshua, how did you make it? If I had Pastor Brett up here, who's in his 60s, though he looks like he's in his 40s, He and I were up here. He looks 40. I look 80. We're close to the same age. 
And you said, Pastor Jim, how are you and Kathy still married? Bishop, how are you and Cynthia still married? How do you still love one another? How do you still walk with God? I've been reading my Bible 60 years, beloved. I've been preaching 50. My wife and I still love. How's that possible? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take a shot to tell you eight. We'll see if I make it. Number one, will you spectate or will you participate? This is at the very essence of everything. You can look later in Exodus 33, 8 through 11, and this is going to define, this is what Joshua would tell you. Moses was quite a leader. You think Bishop Brett is something, and he is. Moses, different matter. He had to wear a veil when he preached so you wouldn't be blinded by the glory. He wiped out an empire on his day off. He parted oceans. You, whenever you come to church, the heaven would open and you'd be fed. It'd fall down into you. No one ever more anointed than Moses, but Jesus. Joshua said, he was my pastor. There's none other like him. You know, he said, I was a teenager when I started working for him. And Moses had a special tent, you see, pitched outside the camp. And you realize when he'd get up for his morning devotions, you can read the passage later, watch me, he'd walk toward that tent and the glory cloud would follow him. It says everyone in Israel, they'd wake up, let's watch him. Let's watch the bishop. Let's watch Moses. Oh, let's watch him preach. Let's watch him pastor. Let's just watch. Two and a half million spectators all watching. Finally, young Joshua, kind of a kid, he thought, I I'm done watching. Somehow I think I'm not meant just to spectate. Somehow I can participate in this. Somehow I can have this. And he finally said, <clears throat> he was like Moses EA. He said, Moses, he said, listen, I won't mess it up. I won't say a thing. But I finally figured out you're not just looking for spectators. Could I just try it one time? Could I just follow you one time? So one, one morning they look up. Moses is going. They're all going, oh, that service. Oh, oh my God, that worship. Did you feel it? Did you, did you see Pastor Tullis and AJ when they were preaching? And then the bishop came. Oh, did you feel that glory? Now, who that kid? He's creeping behind. They begin to notice every day that kid was there. Then the Bible says Moses left and the cloud stayed because Joshua was in the tent. You must choose. Will you be a Christian spectator or will you get in the game? It really, this is the essence of everything. Do you realize this isn't the game? This is practice. This is the coaching room. The game's outside there. That's where you live. It's not enough just to watch it. Why we do this every Sunday so you can do it at home in microcosm. I'm going to worship. I'm going to hear the word. I'm going to fellowship. I'm going to speak. And in the end, it will define your life. If you are reduced to being a tithing spectator. Hey, I got my ticket. I love GCC. I, I, man, it's a wonder. I'm glad. But this isn't it. This is where you learn. 
Why do we worship? We want God's presence, but you can worship at home too. It's different, but you can. You can read the Bible at home. You can speak the Bible at home. Will you spectate or will you participate? It's just fundamental. And I, yes, church life, serve, grace serves, small group, all of it. But will you participate at home? Are you worshiping at home, praying at home, walking with him at home? That brings my second question. Do you find strength and courage in God's promises to always be with you? In Joshua 1, 5, and 6, Joshua is replacing Moses. I think of Pastor Tullis, Pastor AJ, and some of the great leaders that they're now following in the footsteps of. Just imagine if it was Moses. Ten Commandments, ground shook when he spoke. People got a little irritable in church. The ground swallowed them. That was just a different deal. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. He said, son, the same way I was with your spiritual dad, I could be with you. Now catch this, it's so important. And here's the thing that's going to carry you through. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to say how the Lord poses to me. The promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you, has very little impact if you've never really gotten to know God. Okay, God's not going to leave me. Well, okay, that's great. That's enough, but what does it really mean to you? To me, it means everything because I've pursued him with all my heart for over 50 years. In other words, if someone you don't know is leaving, who really cares? And I don't mean theoretically no. I mean if someone you've never talked to, spent time with, never felt their power, never felt their strength. My gosh, if Kathy was leaving me, it would break my heart. We've walked together. Like if God left you, would you even know it practically? I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not and going to heaven. I'm not, if you develop any kind of relationship that if his presence drifted off, you'd feel it. Would you know the difference if he was there or not? You'd know if he wasn't at church one Sunday, I guarantee it. But in your home, does it matter? Hear me now. This becomes the fountain from which everything grows. American Christianity has been reduced to a spectator sport. Very few play in a bunch watch. And this church is far better than most I've been in. But if like God's presence wasn't around you, how many days would you take for you to know? For me, it'd take about a minute. It would scare me. It's not because I'm special, just because I'm so desperate I got to hang out with him a lot. That, that's the promise that shook the world. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, it meant something to them. They'd been with him three and a half years. We don't have the privilege of being with him physically. Thank God he's not still around physically because we'd probably never even meet him. Maybe a Zoom call, television. 
but he's come to live in you. And if you'll spend time getting to know him and around him and feel his strength and walk through crisis, that promise then becomes the very essence of your life. You're with me. You're just with me. Thirdly, will you walk by faith or by sight? Let's build on that. Will you live by what you see or will you live by what he says? When they got to the promised land the first time, and it, man, it was the promised land, there they were. You realize they wandered all those years because they wouldn't go in. They got to the promised land. It was a land of milk and honey. They'd never seen such fertile fields, amazing agriculture. But they got back and said, it's a land with milk and honey, but forget it. There's giants there. They'll kill us. It's impossible for us. Caleb rises up. This defining moment in his life had a different spirit. Caleb rises up. He sees the same thing they see, but a different response. Caleb quieted him. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we're well able to overcome it. They saw the same thing, but Caleb heard something different. Caleb heard what Abraham had said. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you all this land. Moses has stood up and said, what God gave Abraham is for us. We're going to get it. Caleb saw the same thing, but interpreted it differently. And here's why. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we can't go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. Beloved, life is not about your strength. If you could only conquer that which was not stronger than you, you wouldn't conquer much. Life's all about his strength. We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger. They brought to the people of Israel a bad report. They said, the land through which we've gone is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the race of giants, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed in our own eyes like grasshoppers. They saw us the same way. Pastor Jim, I can never face this. I can't conquer this. Faith sees through the eyes of God. Unbelief sees through your own eye. The doctors told me many years ago, we think the cancer in your wife spread to her brain. So sorry, Mr. LaFoon. I mean, she couldn't even, didn't even know who I was. She had a semi-stroke trying to treat this cancer. I had four small children at home. I said, you know, go home, be with your children. He hadn't been hired for his bedside manner. And I was driving down the road in the deep fog, praying for my wife. Jesus said, don't pray for your wife. I said, is it too late? He goes, waste of your time. I go, you're scaring me. He said, knucklehead, she's fine. If you keep praying for her, it's unbelief. Pray for missions. Peace of God descended on me. Here she sits. And that's not the first sentence of death she had. How do you see the world? You will live by what he says or you'll live by what you see. I never deny what I see. Faith never denies reality. I'll never tell you. I'm not sick when I am. I will tell you, Christ is my healer. 
How do you live? Next, are your giants your dread or your bread? Psalms 13, 32, they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. The land devours its people. Numbers 14, 8, and 9, Caleb said, if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us in the land. It flows with milk and honey. Don't rebel. They're bread for us. Who eats who? Who eats who? If you grew up in my generation, how many remember Wheaties were the breakfast of champions? Not anymore. Now it's like wild grains made with kale in the lot of Bill and Jill with no fertilizer and water brought from the Holy Land and put on it. Never. And, and made with animal manure. Not this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that ain't my breakfast, but that's another matter. I ate my Wheaties, not my whatever that is. Okay. Sorry. But humor aside, here's the fact of it. Giants are the breakfast of champions. You say, I've got a diet of trials right now. It's because trials create need for God and his strength. And every time you turn to him, you grow. It is reality. Pastor Jim, I'm sick of fighting. You'll be in heaven one day. Be at peace. That's when the fight will end. Pastor Jim, I'm injured. I'm hurting. Me too. I'm traumatized. Me too. And I know there's some painful trauma in this room. I know there is. But there are certain injuries you walk through. And in the kingdom of God, if you follow him, he'll touch you. That's why it says even when you're depressed, even when you're discouraged, even when you're broken, lift up your hands, hang down, strengthen your feeble knees, and make a straight path. You'll be permanently disabled. And I'll say this. Will your life be defi defined, determined, and defended by God's word? This is a Bible. I can tell you honestly, I've read it since I was eight years old. My parents made me. Just ask, tell us what it's like to live in a house when you have no choice but to read the Bible. My parents were old school that never read about reasoning with your child. My parents truly believed that the Bible and the paddle were God's two things to raise a child. The Bible and the belt. They believed my rear end was hooked to my brain. And if they hit it a lot, I'd get smarter. And they'd make me read the Bible. But humor aside, this Bible defines my life. This Bible determines my course, and this Bible defends me. Joshua 1, 3, and 4 said, Every place should put the sole of your foot, just as I promised Moses, I've given you. That was their defining thing. The promise to Moses was the promise of God, which became, I might add, to Abraham, pardon me, in the Pentateuch. This Bible says who I am. I appreciate science. I know this is not a scientific textbook, but I am defined by God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. It is just a fact. This Bible determines my course. This Bible says don't walk in the way of the ungodly. This Bible tells you, Jim, how do you live your life? Ask my wife right here. This Bible defines me. This Bible determines me, and this Bible defends me. That's why he told Joshua, be really, really strong. Obey this word every chance you get, and for whatever you do, don't ever let it out of your mouth. The real war is determined not in your mind, but in your mouth. May I say that? I know what it is to be depressed. I know what it is to want to die. I know what it is to be so depressed I thought I wish I was dead. 
I've been there, hell shattered. I've laid dying. But let me tell you, your mouth, the Bible says, is the rudder of your ship. And that's why every morning I speak this word. That's why every night I speak this word. Every, I woke up this morning. Lord, you say without faith, it is impossible to believe you. And I believe you exist. I believe you reward me. I believe the day you're parting my Red Seas. You're shutting the mouth of every lion in my life. I'm believing the day out of my weakness you're strong. This word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, is the greatest power on the earth today. I speak it. I read it. I treasure it. I love it. It'll change you. It'll transform you. Probably the, probably the most, one of the greatest leaders in the body of Christ in their 80s, famous beyond comprehension. Then the phone, they go, they go, you know, Jim, I was praying the other day. You know, getting your 80s, you're pretty weak. The Lord said, stop praying about your weakness and confessing your strength. He reminded me. I started confessing who I was, not how I feel. And I caught up with who I was meant to be. Will you fight the fight of faith? Joshua 14, 10 through 12. Caleb's 85 years old. He said, I'm just as strong as I was at 40 for battle. Give me the hard place now, Josh. Give me Hebron which at that time was controlled by the most powerful giants in the land. This is my inheritance. I will not run from the fight. I will not run from the battle. If you run from the fight, you'll be running a lot in Christianity. There's always a fight to do right. There's always a fight to become like Christ. I'd rather be canceled on the earth than canceled for eternity. I will follow him. I will walk with him. Will you face your flooded Jordan and walled Jericho alone? Christianity is a team sport. It's why you have a family. It's why you have a church. Moses was pretty isolated a lot of the time, that big prophetic thing in him. Aaron, her, a few close to him, sister. Joshua realized we can't do this alone. He said, we're going to cross the Red Sea, follow the priest. We're going to wait till everyone even come across. It was time to take Jericho. Those walls are 60 feet high when you include the berm. No siege equipment. Here's what Joshua said. I need all the fighting men, not just one. You won't make it without church life. You've got to have spiritual family. I know some of you are terribly failed by biological family. Some of you, you hate the holidays that are coming up. I know it's tough. That's why God says I put the lonely in a different family. I, lo I love my biological family. I happen to have a very whole one. I'm the exception for most. And that is why, beloved, God puts you in a local church. It's why he puts you in a family. It's why I have people like, Bishop Brett, Jim Critcher, and others of mine who define me, my wife, speak to me, encourage me. You don't have to face this alone. I, I'm so glad you come. 
on the weekends. We're just honored to have you. But that doesn't fulfill all your needs for fellowship. That's why we serve together, worship together, party together, have fun together. It's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not just the head floating around. When you were born again, you got lots of uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters. God didn't introduce them all to you because you might not have liked them and wouldn't have followed him. But here we are. Look around. This is my last point. Then I need Pastor Corey to come up with me. Will you go back to Egypt? Exodus 16, 3. They got so mad. They got a little hungry. Got, you know, got sick of it all. They go, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. We sat by the meat pots, ate all that bread. Egypt, they were all slaves. They're whooped. Their boy babies were killed. But oh, how the, how the devil can make you think your past was better than your present when the trial comes. If I could just go back. They got to the border of the promised land, saw the giants. Let's elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. You know, well, it was bad there. It was kind of enslaved there. It wasn't that good, but at least we'd have to fight giants. At the greatest moments in your life. At the greatest moments when you're called to step forward. Something will come just to pull you back. You know, Israel was always running to Egypt throughout the Bible. Abraham ran down to Egypt. That wasn't so good. Every time they had a political problem, let's go back to Egypt to save us. At those moments of greatest momentum in your life, there's always a tug to go back. You know what the real tug is? I'm tired of living by faith. I'm just tired of fighting. I'd rather have what I don't have to fight for. I'd rather have what I can see. Here we stand. The world seemingly in a crazy place. People so afraid. Threats of nuclear devices, famine, gas, recession. What do you think it was going to take for a nation to be ripe? I remember sitting here with Bishop Brett and some of the team two years ago. I saw the globe look like a two-year-old had gotten mad and thrown it to the ground and broken it. Then back together. God said, what do you see? I said, I see a shattered world, a battered world. Oh, my gosh. I see a fractured world, a fissured world, a geological term for cracking. God says, you blind, son. He said, those aren't fissures. Those are furrows. And if you'll sow and you'll go, my spirit will flow. Pastor Corey, join me up here. You just say today, Pastor Jim, I want to fully possess my promised land. Raise your hand right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this congregation. I call your blessing on them, your anointing on them. If Josh was here today, Caleb here today, they'd say, walk by faith, not by sight. They'd say, don't merely spectate, participate. Let the word define you. Walk in my presence. I bless this people, my family.